0: this is the last laugh i'm matt wilstein from the daily beast and this is a very big week for comedian nikki glazer on thursday the second season of her increasingly popular reality show f boy island premiered on hbo max then on saturday her latest hour-long special good clean filth drops on hbo Now, I just got an early look at the new special, which is really great, by the way. And that's how I learned that apparently, Nikki was not thrilled that when she was my guest on this podcast, we chose to highlight her line that she would rather be quote, fuckable than funny in the headline that ran on the Daily Beast website. She references our interview during a larger bit in the special about the advice women are given on how to land a man. And she actually suggests she was misquoted before admitting that is actually what she told me, even if she kind of regretted saying it afterwards. Now, look, I thought Nikki and I had a really great conversation when we talked last summer, and that's why I wanted to repost this episode today so you can hear everything that she had to say in its original context. Like with all of my guests, I hope that Nikki doesn't regret coming on this podcast, even if we do get into tricky territory sometimes. And if nothing else, at least she got some good material out of it. So whether you missed it the first time or just want to revisit it, here's my conversation with the very funny Nikki Glazer. Awesome. Well, I've been listening to your podcast and really oh, enjoying it. And now all I really want to know is what is this mystery show that you're working on in LA? <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm very intrigued.
1: Uh, you know, the funny thing is, I don't think it's going to come out for like a while. <laughs> And, uh, which sucks because I want to talk about it so much. I didn't, uh, I didn't know any of the rules. I was on it yesterday and, or I did two days of it this week. And, um, the first day I was like on my phone taking selfies, like on set, you know, when we were stopped (laughs) down, when it was like, I felt an appropriate time to do so and I always have my phone. Like I always am sitting on my phone if I'm on a show or like, I always, I just am addicted to it. And, uh, I got like kind of yelled at for being a, like, someone was like, what are you, why is your phone out? And I was like, oh, I'm going to, It's because we're not filming. I'm going to put it away. And they're like, no, 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 you can't have your phone in here. It's a closed set. And I was like, wait, I, I, okay, well, what if I have an email? <laughs> this is, we're like doing a nine hour day in here. And they're like, that's crazy. And also it's just a fucking TV show. I mean, it's, Nothing. No (laughs) one's going to die because I may have accidentally revealed that I was wearing this color on this show that might come out in the future. Like, it was all coming down to like, you can't even take a picture of yourself in the outfit offset because part of the reveal of you is like what you're wearing. And I'm just like... Um, well then why didn't you guys give me a budget for wardrobe? Why did I have to spend $3,000 out of my own pocket to get dressed for this? Uh, when I was making $7,000 to do the two <laughs> full days on set. I mean, it was one of those shows that you're like, I'm paying, I'm paying to be here. It's worth it. I, but not in a complainy way. This, this network, no one has any goddamn money, especially cable networks. So I understand that. And the money's being put towards good things on the show, not talent, I guess, but, <laughs> uh, but they treated me like a, a queen and, um, I had a great, time and uh and I looked amazing which is always a a conflict in my head of whether to dress like to dress like a comedian or like stay in my lane or to embrace the fact that I'm having these opportunities to go on red carpets and look glamorous and look like a a model you know like I can really sometimes like look like oh she like I I have like I'm 37 but I have the body of a like a 70-year-old supermodel, like where you go, whoa, she's still kicking it. Like I do, I have like an elderly supermodel body um, as a 37-year-old, which sounds like I'm bragging, but it's also, I, I'm not. Sometimes I can really, I'm already going places for, for with you, Matt, that um, oh, yeah. I didn't intend on going, but that's actually an interesting struggle talking about like the current state of comedy is this you know, with Instagram and putting so much out there uh, of optically of what you look like and people telling you it's about your jokes, like focus on your jokes. Don't focus on how you look and denying that that's such a part of all of this. And...
0: Easier said than done.
1: And it's also like, I don't want to ignore my looks. Like I... I don't care anymore. I used to be so ashamed of trying to look hot. Oh my God, my biggest fear is, you know, people on set thinking that I'm a diva and spreading that message about me because that's all I... I'd, I'd never want to be someone who looks like they think they're better than anyone else because I I don't feel that way ever. Uh, I I could use more of it actually. <laughs> and then my other fear is being thought of having... Uh, other female comics who I admire and look up to screenshotting me on Instagram in a group message and talking shit about me. And these are founded fears, by the way, because I've been in those group texts (laughs) (laughs) of female comics talking shit and going, look, oh my God, we're worried about her when really it's like, she looks really free and like she has confidence. And I wish I had that. And I'm threatened by the fact that she can be sexy and own it. And, and I am going to, I'm going to talk shit so I can convince myself, like, I don't even want that, even though I secretly do. I wish I could be that sexy and out with it. But so now I'm just kind of indulging in that. Like I am single. I don't care if I'm perceived as sexy. I should be. That's I'm trying to find a mate. Put it out there. Yeah, I'm trying to find someone who looks at me and goes, oh, that makes my dick fill with blood. And I kind of would (laughs) like to put my penis in that. Like, that's the initial thing I want. I'm sorry. That's the goal. I'm not trying to find a life partner by someone going, oh my God, she's so funny. Like, that's not what I'm looking for in a relationship is someone who tells me I'm funny all the time because I know I am. I just want someone who (laughs) like tells me I'm fuckable all the time because I don't know that I am. So until I find someone uh, to love me forever, I'm going to keep putting uh, thirst pics out there. Why not? Well, you know,
0: talking about looking hot, uh, your new show, F Boy Island. That's that's a big theme of the show. (laughs) Do you like that bit? It is. Um, It was so good. uh, So I, I have to say, I was. I was kind of following you, you know, on social media and you were living with your parents in St. Louis. And then all of a sudden there's just like these pictures from this tropical island and I didn't know what was going on. I was like, you're just like living your best life in some beautiful place. Um, I thought maybe there was some sort of like Firefest Fest thing going on, but I wasn't sure. And then eventually we find out it's, it's F-Boy Island. You were, uh, you were down there working on that. Um, yes. So how did this happen? How did you end that up? That was uh, the
1: other secret show that I, you know, was started my podcast when i was down there couldn't talk about it It was very clear that i couldn't tell you anyone what it was but that i it, it would be something you'd find out about soon enough yeah it was f boy island that all started because i i put my agents on a mission probably a year and a half ago uh, maybe you know prior to covid i i want to work in reality like i want to be i love reality shows i don't know why I'm just trying to break into scripted when I don't even watch scripted shows. Sure. I love <laughs> I, lo- I love scripted shows. I got into them more over the pandemic because I was able to, I was living with my parents. So I was able to watch, I need to, I, I don't like consuming things alone. And for me, reality, I, I it's easier for me to consume as a, a alone. But a lot of times with reality shows, you develop a network of people that you get together and watch it with. So like the ones that I love, I have my friends that we like have bachelor Mondays or whatever. But with scripted shows, I just, I can't get into them because I want someone to comment with me and I don't have, (laughs) I was a single woman who worked every night. So I just never looked at watch them, but I did get into them over the pandemic again because I was living with my parents. That being said, I told my agents I want to work in reality because it's all I watch. Why am I trying to make content that I don't even enjoy or uh, have a passion for? And I've watched enough reality to know exactly what I would want to do, how I would want to, what voice I would want to bring to it. Hi, guys, and welcome to F-Boy Island. <laughs> I'm Nikki Glazer, and you have all really let yourselves go. I mean, are you even trying? You look great, actually. I didn't know that GNC sold jewelry, but that's nice to know now. I actually have those jeans. Are those mine? Out of the 24 of you, 12 of you are nice guys. And 12 of you self-identify as F-boys. And I don't know who is who. I, you know, I did Dancing with the Stars. So I've been like... I was kind of surprised after uh,
0: after your experience on Dancing with the Stars, you want to do more reality. I oh know, my it d- God. It didn't go exactly as planned.
1: No, I got, I was voted off immediately. The first voted <laughs> off, which is like one of the most embarrassing moments of my life and was really something that I thought couldn't happen. I didn't even have my bags packed, which you're supposed to have <laughs> them packed just in case you get voted off. I didn't have them packed. I like went to, I had to fly to Good Morning America to be on Good Morning America. The morning... 10 hours after I was eliminated, I was supposed to be live on air uh, on the other side of the country and I had no outfit, nothing planned for it. was like, it was chaos. And everyone's like, you didn't know, we all knew you were going home. <laughs> it was, it was, like, rig- you, known the, you know, it, this uh, game is yeah. rigged, right? And uh, <laughs> you can just look at the schedule. Um, you can just feel the vibe of the producers not making eye contact with you and everyone not really worrying about your next dance as much as everyone else's. Like, no, so, you, don't,
0: you don't need to rehearse for that yet. I think it'll yeah, be fun. Yeah,
1: exactly. Well, that actually was the reason I fucking got injured on, I mean, My Dancing with the Stars experience is one I'm still processing and I think uh, is something that I'm bringing to state. It is going to be a big part of my next special, even though I've talked about it on my Degenerate special that I did for Netflix, uh, which is one of the most insane sets I've ever done. I was truly on the brink (laughs) of a uh, mental breakdown when I did that set. So it's like, yeah, oh my God, it was... When
0: did you tape that one?
1: I did that one uh, less... Like five days after I did the roast of Alec Baldwin, which roasts... Or, like the Olympics. I train for them. I don't really, I don't sleep enough. I do sets tirelessly. It's just like, it's the hardest thing I ever do is roast until it's in well, days of You're, you're incredible at it. So thank you. Well, I just take, I just know that they're the biggest platform for a comedian uh, ever. I mean, maybe next to hosting the Oscars, which is not in the scope of things for me yet, very soon. But like at the, for now, and I would argue that more people see, roast clips than your Oscars monologue.
0: Yeah, it's also an interesting comparison, right? Because the roast, you can kind of get away with every, with anything, and the Oscars are the thing that people are getting cancelled for just by accepting the gig. So they're kind of on opposite ends of the, so of the funny. comedy it's spectrum, ex- right? You're so
1: right. I mean, that would make me nervous to... It makes me nervous to do anything like that or to be a little bit more famous because that's when people start sorting through your past material and trying to find ways to take you down because they don't like... They, they kind of have seen too much of you and they're ready to now go from being like, oh my God, I love her to, oh, she's everywhere. I'm so sick of her. You okay, haven't had that
0: experience yet where people are kind of... It's coming. It's coming. And I know exactly <laughs> the
1: jokes they're going to come after me for. And Do you delete I, things from your past
0: or you just kind of let, no, them, let them ride? No, honestly...
1: Well, you know, I I had a, I hired a friend of mine. I was getting ready to go on tour. I wanted to come up with new material, and so many of my jokes. I mean, I've been on Twitter since two thousand fucking twelve or whatever before. No, two thousand seven. I think seven is when I first got on. And um, I was like, oh, will you go through it? Because sometimes my tweets are so brilliant. They're just like brilliant <laughs> one-liners because I used to yeah. really work hard on them. Not can so much now. Them. But like, yeah, I could bring those, I could just shove those into bits. That's how now I write is like, I always used to write in one-liners when I first started out. I was just like, loved Mitch Hedberg, Sarah Silverman, uh, Wendy Liebman, just Stephen Wright. Just like, just one joke and let's move on. I don't want to like get into it. And then I found out I was talking about so many topics that like were similar theme that I could put all these one-liners into a bit. And then that's how kind of I came up with my style now, which now starts with a story and not, then I fill in with jokes. So now I was like, oh, let's go back and look at tweets. And I told my friend Nicole Buchanan, hilarious roast comic, Nicole Buchanan. I told her, will you go through my tweets and like find anything that you think would be good material? So it was essentially her looking for stuff I had written. But, and then I go, uh, she was doing it for a couple hours because there's so <laughs> much to read. It. I mean, and I go, you know what? While you're, while you're in there, you just like maybe clock anything that might be a little bit like maybe not t- timely anymore and thankfully she didn't find any she was like no there was maybe this and I was like oh no leave that I don't care yeah, that's that, fine. That, that, that that maybe five years from now that'll be something that I can't say but uh you know I just I, I I really was scared for a while because I do have jokes that are written from the perspective of racist people that are like ignorant you know like the the the, the Sarah Silverman character that I yeah. was Exactly, Legit, that, that, like was her, that was her That was kind of her shit, yeah Yeah, I mean, I wrote my own jokes But I I copied that character of like I'm unintentionally racist Because I just am a selfish person Who lives and like, thinks everyone has my perspective Like her joke That's about sending That's a really sending- good impression of her thank you. Uh, I, I did it for eight years of my career. And so, uh, my whole act was just, uh, I, yeah, I used to do impressions, but it was one and it was Sarah Silverman the whole time. And I didn't acknowledge (laughs)
0: it. You didn't say it was an impression. Yeah. Do you think there was a moment or a set or some time in your career where you, where you realized you were doing yourself or you had found something that was authentically you?
1: Yeah. I think that, um, I think that is authentically me. I think acknowledging that I had, such so low self-esteem, have it almost by default that I had to transform into other people and absorb things from people I admire in hopes of becoming more like them is kind of myself being able to like acknowledge that and admit that and have that kind of perspective was maybe is, is kind of who I am. It's like uh, that that's kind of my brand now is just being accountable and really honest with what is going on and what, and um, kind of dismantling any uh, perception of me that might be like, she's such a badass and so confident. Like, I want people to be inspired by my confidence or the fact that i can how can you say these roast jokes to these people that's so brave and talk about all these things and admit talk about your sex life it to me that's not brave like i just don't have the thing in my brain that prevents me from doing those things like there's no there's no like oh i'm scared but i'm going to do it like it, yeah. there's nothing that you don't even impedes have that, that, that. Moment. Yeah. yeah i'm i compared i don't know if you heard them on my podcast but i compared it the other day to like that free solo guy that like hangs off of cliffs and you go with, that, with no nothing? How do you do that? Like I stand uh, against a window on a 13 story building and I get sick to my stomach. So- but it's like, I have a thing that's saying, don't do that to protect myself. He doesn't have that part of his brain. And so I'm still figuring out who I am on stage, but it is really fun to um, finally be in this position that I was talking about it yesterday on the mystery show I was doing with the um, the hosts and the the other people on it that who I respect a lot and who have had a lot of experience in this business. And it's nice as someone... I've been in the business now. I'm 37 and I started when I was like, you know, 19. So like 18 years, I've been like... My career can vote and drive and buy (laughs) porn. For the past for its whole life. I mean, let's be honest, porn yeah. is accessible to everyone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that used to be the thing. But um, I was talking about uh I've just discovered a hack for uh bombing, like an easy out immediately, which I've been employing just through knowing good lines to say when you start to bomb, or you've presented an idea that people don't like, or you've said something offensive that that you didn't mean to and and everyone's like everyone hates you. You just say, you just stop. Like sometimes, because I used to bomb and I would feel immediately if I'm bombing, a trickle of sweat starts to build on my lower back, maybe mid back. And until it reaches my ass crack, I find that when I feel it reaches my ass crack, there's no turning back and they hate you so much. (laughs) But if it can dry up and not gain enough speed, like it's only going to accelerate towards my ass crack if I keep bombing. But in that time, I have that little window down my back. To To turn things around. Yes. And now I know how to do that. What I do is I pause and I go, instead of trying to dig out of this bit by getting them to like me more or picking another bit that, oh, you'll like this one. What is the most honest thing you can say right now? Like literally what is the, and for me, most of the time it's, I'm sorry, I'm not as good as you expected me to be. (laughs) That's that's really cuts through it. I go, I'm sorry that you've, maybe you're here because you watched my roast compilations on YouTube, which I just want to be honest with you. I didn't write a lot of those jokes. Um, there, I'd never look that good. I I was peaking that night. Um, those were even edited to take out the awkward sciences. So I'm never going to be that person that was And I know on the car ride home, you're going to be like, maybe we should have saved up money to go see Andrew Schultz or whatever. You're like, maybe this is the wrong choice. I don't like her as much. But if you are able to really call that out, they're not going to have that conversation on the ride home. They're going to be like, I can't believe she like knew we were going to say that. And I have like, and maybe they weren't going to say it. Sometimes people go, why are you calling out something? And people actually do like you. And it's because I always fear people don't like me and i'm i would rather win over the people that don't than focus on the ones that do which is a sick thing that i hope to remedy but <laughs> i really feel like just the the key to being funny is being honest you don't actually have to have jokes if you just say honest stuff pe- that people wouldn't normally admit you could be a comedian that's all we're doing i mean that's all i'm doing and i'm trying to be like punchy about it and have smart jokes but you don't even have to like People are just such fucking liars always, all the time, (laughs) in every little way. Like, even comedians. Comedians who are your favorite comics going, I'm so excited to be here. Uh, The energy of this room. Like, or even saying, even wearing something cool. Like, for me, watching... And and I would say this to Chappelle if we were ever friends. Hopefully, if I got high enough and made the (laughs) poor decision of being like, I'm going to be honest with him. He'll never hear this. But for me, when Chappelle... I loved... Chappelle is like, obviously the biggest truth teller. I just trust him so much. I don't think he's ever bullshitting us. I don't think it's going to be a Louis CK situation where he's presenting a side of the, the yeah, real version. That there's this that whole other person palatable. that we don't know about. Or, yeah. Because the thing about Louis is everyone's like, he told us he was a creep, but I'm like, not, not in that way. Or that, like, you know, that victimized. There, others. there were
0: signs, but we didn't, but we didn't know the yeah, whole story. Like
1: you should have seen it. Like, you know, what were you wearing kind of thing. And, um, I don't feel that way. I don't really, uh, Uh, Louis is... One of my favorite comics of all time, but I don't really consume his new material because I just don't trust him anymore. Whatever, that's my choice as an art. Like I'd still, I'd still tell him he's my favorite comic, but I just don't want to listen to him anymore, really, because he broke my trust. And I rely he, on he was trusting your favorite
0: comics. comic back in <laughs> he was
1: the old he, stuff. Is yeah. still, like, yeah, he is still like his bits are still ones that stay with me and have changed the way I think about the world. I will never complain on a flight again the rest of my life if it's delayed, if it uh, if it's bumpy, if the Wi-Fi isn't working. I will never ever. <laughs> my calmness on a plane that has been delayed for hours and hours and it keeps getting pushed on we're on the runway alarms me and it's all from the fact that you're flying through the air like a bird like magic (laughs) like a bird the thing that it used to take you know months and you a bunch of people would die across the way now you take a shit and watch a tv show and you uh, you know he really
0: yeah that was the bit i think he he did that on conan right and that's i think it blew up from that right
1: that was the best one, the, the Conan one. And then he later put it in into his act. But the Conan one was the one that blew my mind. So the thing about uh, Chappelle that I wanted to get back to is that he, to me, is what I aspire to be in terms of just like one time I saw him on stage. I remember the Comedy seller and I was watching him and I couldn't even listen because I was just so profoundly... Uh, just inspired by how comfortable he looked. Like you just are in good hands with Chappelle. There's never a moment as an audience member, and that truly is what comedy is about: is making the audience feel comfortable because you're doing something that it, they is scarier than singing on stage, acting on stage. At least you have a script and a and lyrics. Talking on stage, it, it, alone with a mic, is everyone's biggest fear. The audience is fucking nervous for everyone that goes up there. You just want to make them feel like. The best feeling as an audience member is like, I'm not anxious for them. I'm not putting myself in those shoes like, oh my God, what if he stumbles? Chappelle never, he's in the driver's seat and this car cannot crash. Yeah, and he'll just just
0: take long pauses and do whatever he wants up there. And 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 yeah, you're you're just, you're not worried. You're in
1: for the right, you don't feel awkward ever. Chappelle's never awkward. And he just seems so cool. Like he doesn't care what you think. He truly doesn't. And I believe he doesn't. Then that special, I think it was sticks and stones. He's wearing a onesie. Like a, uh, a looked like a mechanic, like a car mechanic, yeah, yeah.
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, looked cool as fuck. Has this Chappelle patch on yeah, the side. He always has
0: his branded stuff now.
1: Okay, uh, let me just say that a guy that doesn't care what people think about him and truly has no like ego does not have that cool of style and put patches with his name on it on things. So that for me, I don't. Chappelle would admit to this. I'm sure. Like there is, there is an ego there. There is like someone who cares about his perception, which makes me love him even more than that. But I just, this guy that I've just like, he doesn't give a fuck. Like there's a little bit of dishonor. I can, I can find like the, the cracks in the, in the facade of like, I am so confident. My favorite image though, to think about with that onesie look, because he's, that was one of my favorite sets. He's just fucking cool as shit. It's just so, the vibe of it is one that, you know, kind of, it was before he was getting really, uh, just kind of deviating, I think, from the stand-up, the classic stand-up, like what you expect. He was, it was like a, that was like in the round, I think the one, whatever it was. That, uh, I just want to say that I, I loved the image of Chappelle if he had to take a shit at any point or he had to take it all the way down to his ankles, he was naked on the toilet because I've worn onesies before and go to go pee as a woman, which men, obviously, you could stand with a pee, but if he had to take a shit, he had to be naked with the whole onesie around his ankles. And that, to me, is such a humanizing moment for this guy that I put on such a pedestal. So I, I just love, I love, but that's what I'm talking about of like trying to be, there's always more, there, you can always get more honest, and um, I now am going to lean into uh, for my tour that I'm doing now. I've decided like, I'm going to do wardrobe changes. I'm going to dress like Taylor Swift on a stadium tour because I want to and I can, and these are big nights, and I want to show my audience that I'm excited and to respect them with my wardrobe and like show them that I care. And I wish I could Adam Sandler and, like, be embraced for, like, wearing what I want to. Mess
0: shorts and, yeah.
1: <laughs> I don't care about being... I used to say, oh, I don't want to perform in heels because I'm not comfortable in heels. But it's like, no, I'm going to feel like... Uh, I just... Like I was saying at the beginning, I'm just, like, not scared of acknowledging, like, I'm dressing up because... Not because I want to, but but because it makes me feel cool and I want to be cool so bad. Like that's the truth <laughs> of it. And I want to look hot because hotness is currency and you can pretend it's not, but I am i will not be a woman who will say, I love my body. I love, I love my curves. I look at my cellulite. If I don't feel that way, I hope I get to a point where I can put my cellulite on Instagram and go like, look, girls, it doesn't matter. Not there today. I'm not going to fake like I am.
0: Coming up, Nikki runs through the highs and lows of her three Comedy Central Roasts, from destroying Ann Coulter to revealing some uncomfortable truths about Roastmaster General Jeff Ross. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot
1: Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase.
0: Do you know when Crystal Pepsi was discontinued? What was in Al Capone's vault? Or which famous meteorologist is Lenny Kravitz's second cousin? If not, then you haven't spent enough time on Wikipedia. But that's okay, because you can learn it all on the new podcast, WikiHole, from Smartless Media. Discover the craziest rabbit holes on Wikipedia with host and friend of the last laugh, Darcy Cardin, and her favorite comedian friends, as they bring the cyber frontier directly to your tympanic membrane. And if you listen to WikiHole, you will learn that's the science term for eardrum. WikiHole is a hyperlink roller coaster, starting out on one Wikipedia page and then going from link to link to link to link, careening through trivia, oddities, and unexpected connections until everyone wonders, how the hell did we get here? Follow WikiHole on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can listen to WikiHole ad free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. If you're enjoying this episode and want to hear more, please make sure you are following The Last Laugh wherever you get your podcasts. We have had so many other comedians on the show who first broke through on the Comedy Central roast, including Lisa Lampanelli, Anthony Jeselnik, and Natasha Legero. By subscribing to The Last Laugh, you can listen to those episodes and everything else from our free archive, and you'll be the first to hear new episodes when they drop every Tuesday. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know how much you love the show and who you want to hear next. Now, back to Nikki Glazer. So I do want to talk a little bit about the, the roasts because um, I was looking back and I realized you've done three of them. They're actually the three that I was there for in person. So oh, I, really? I'm a very like I feel like I have a very strong oh, memory cool. and connection to those. So then they were kind of a game changer uh, for your career. As you said, they, they, they made you blow up in a, in a, new way. Um, so I just kind of wanted to run down the, the three that you did and, and see if there are memories or things that stand out for them. Um, so the first one was the Rob Lowe roast in 2016. And I remember it mostly for Ann Coulter's horrible, uh, bomb of a set. Um, and I actually, I loved that looking back at it, that you really went at her, I think, harder than anyone else on that stage. Um, so what do you remember about that?
1: Amy Schumer was really in my corner for that set and preparing me and she was someone that I had, you know, helped with jokes before and so and it always followed her process and so she really was like, this is a huge opportunity to like be to tell this woman what we all want to tell her. Like, she's truly evil. And so I just went to a place of, like, I really want to go hard as hard on her as possible because for the first time at a roast, like, she really deserves it. Like, you can say we ro- we roasted D- Donald Trump before, but uh, we didn't know how much we all would hate him. Like, na- there's rarely been someone there that is that loathed and, and deserving of being loathed and knows what they're doing and has made a character that is evil um, on purpose because they're a sad person inside. And it just felt good to, I would love to do it again with what I know now. I mean, it was my first roast. So I made some choices that I didn't like, like the joke that honestly broke my career open. I don't regret it, I guess, but I kind of do was the one that was like, the only person you'll ever make happy is the Mexican who digs your grave. I didn't like that. I said, Mexican, I look back on that joke and I'm just like, that's putting, that's making me someone who assumes that Mexicans dig graves which I guess is a stereotypical thing that you could put into a joke but everyone loved that joke and was like that's so mean to her and I was like I feel like that joke's more mean to Mexicans for no fucking reason like saying that they're that's all they do and they're it's a foregone conclusion it's gonna be a Mexican and obviously Mexicans hate you because your your immigration beliefs are like it. to me that joke got is always quoted back to me and I cringe when I hear it because if I were Mexican I would have been like this fucking bitch just throwing us in this joke we don't need her to speak for us and it's a great joke, and it wasn't written by me. And I took it on right before I went on stage. I added it to my set because why not? And everyone I remember everyone in the trailer was like, that joke. And to me, I didn't I already had those kind of like spidey sense of like this doesn't feel good. And then every time I hear it, I'm kind of like, ugh. And without furor ado, Anne Coulter. <laughs> oh, Anne. What's it like to be, like, a real-life supervillain? You know, like... I'd ask you how you sleep at night, but I'd assume just upside down in a robe of 101 Dalmatians. (laughs) Ann Coulter has written 11 books, 12 if you count Mein Kampf. Yes. Ann's been called things like a racist, anti-Semitic, homophobic, a white supremacist, and that's just while getting plowed by Bill Maher. (laughs) The only person you will ever make happy is the Mexican who digs your grave. With that roast, though, um, it it was the first time that I had experienced the thing of not, no. Like, it happens every roast. Like, I write all these mean jokes, and then I get there, and... I forget that I like they are going to be sitting there when I say it cuz I've said it so many <laughs> times around town. I literally forget. And people I remember being on the red carpet before that and one of the people being like, "So, how do you feel about saying these jokes to these people?" And I was like, "Oh my god, I had not even thought of it." And I and you know what? That's my superpower is this like inability to think about the scariest thing until it's about to happen and it's too late. Like I during my special taping for Bang on Netflix, I was in the middle of my set talking about like Guzzling, calm, or just something filthy. And I see my dad's head. And my dad and mom have seen everything I do. They know what I talk about. I don't hold back at all. And it was the first time that I was like, that would be really hard to hear if you were like a parent. Like, he's probably doesn't want to hear this at all. Like, this moment is so probably fraught for him because he's so proud, but at the same time, so embarrassed. And I stopped and I go, dude, you guys, I'm sorry. I just have to say, my dad's here and like I'm for the first time I just realized like this might be hard and he's been coming to my show since the beginning and I've been like this from the beginning and it's like that special
0: is like to a new level but yes
1: this empathy that I have maybe for others or like how someone else might feel on the other end I, I lacked empathy a lot in my life didn't grow up with learning it and it it kind of hits me across the face sometimes when I least expect it. And I'm glad for that ultimately because it's allowed me to be so brazen on stage and say yeah, things that most I people wouldn't does, because I'm not thinking you. about how people will
0: respond. Yeah, I wonder if that helps explain why you're so good at the roast.
1: I think it does. Like, it really is like this, the the the, this, the fear of heights that that free solo guy has, I just don't have when it comes to offending people. And, but also when I find out I've offended people, Matt, I like, I am so upset and want to find them and right the wrong. Like I don't enjoy offending people. That's the other thing. People think I love making people feel awkward. And like, I hate when I, after like my last uh, theater show I did doing a meet and greet and I open with ask like setting up the scenario if you had to like go down on either of your parents like who would you choose and it's not just for the sake of being like a a awkward question it's like I explore this thing that comes up naturally and then I this kid is with his parents and he goes that was weird for us and I was like I am so sorry I literally might put a disclaimer next time I do it and say if you're with your parents will you go to the bathroom right now because this is too weird I don't want to put you in that position it's just yeah so. Uh, moving on, Rob Lowrose was definitely like the best, was the night that I got to prove myself to Comedy Central. Like you were right in hiring me to do this. I can't wait to do it again. And I feel really confident about what I did. And I am I worked my fucking ass off. And, uh, and I was a little hurt by the jokes that they said about me. And I didn't expect that. But, you know, just as I don't see that, that I don't have empathy for the person on the other side of my jokes. I did not prepare myself at all for what would be said about me at all. Yeah. I had you no idea that thinking I would be about hurt. That. No. And thank God, because I, uh, it's, it's, it was better in, I guess it was better in the moment. I don't know. I, I usually get wildly depressed after these. Cause I'm like, Oh, I have to get injections in my face to change. So they won't say that next time. And then they'll make fun of ha- you having injections in your face. You can't win.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I talked to uh, Natasha Leggero about this. Um, you know, we were talking about sort of the way that there's only like a handful of things that people say about, female comedians at these roasts old
1: sluts old slut not funny that's it and
0: uh (laughs) and you kind of move from slut to old as you uh as you yeah yeah. and then an old
1: slut becomes like gross no one wants you and how pathetic is that so it's like and it's funny at these roasts like I go first all the time so any jokes about me not being funny just don't work because I just killed and I love that that there was one time where uh I forget who was up there doing it was someone like really impressive that I was like, oh my God, I can't wait for them to talk, even say my name. And I remember I had just so undoubtedly killed that there was a joke on the teleprompter that was about me not being funny. And they just go actually just skip that one and they like <laughs> told the prompter to skip it i was like oh my god i love that because they they just didn't work so yeah so i tend to hear jokes about me looking like a, a transsexual, like a, a male to female transsexual or me looking old or me having no ass or me having a horse face i mean these are all things you say about um skinny women or having an eating disorder which you know is true but like who or was true but like who cares? I don't know. It's it, there's, it, but they do find new ways to like really uh, hurt my feelings, which is, which is the, you know,
0: it's the goal. So the next one was Bruce Willis in 2018. Is yeah. there anything that stands out from that yes. one in your, in your memory? The big
1: thing for me was that was so fun. Cause I got to sit next to Edward Norton who I was a big fan of, very intimidated by, he didn't really have much to say to me before the show. Like we were sitting there and he was kind enough, but like, we weren't like chit-chatting. And I was just like, oh, I guess we're not going to be buds or whatever. Cause he was probably nervous. I was too. And we're just, you know, whatever. And uh, not rude at all. Just like, oh, I wanted to like have a connection with this guy. And like, cause it's a really social thing. Your handlers don't get to be on stage with you. There's not hair and makeup coming in. When you go to commercial, there's a whole commercial break for like s- seven, eight minutes And you're just there with no one. Like, you talk amongst yourselves. You really get to know these people. You mingle around. It's really fun and a great opportunity to meet someone who you would never normally get to sit next to. And so then, but I go up and I do my set and then I come back and now Edward is a, a fan Because he just saw me work and respects me more and is much more chatty and like, uh, just, you know, all of a sudden we're front and it was like, yes. So then I gave him, after his set, I gave him, I split an edible with him. We were just like, (laughs) he was telling me hilarious stories about Bruce from like when they worked together and was just talking. We just, I had a real like night with Edward Norton. Like we had a, I got Edward Norton alone and was able to be friendly with him and social in a setting that I don't think anyone else could ever get that person of that caliber as a, coming in as a stranger in, in, in that situation. So that's... Did you, did that you stay really friends? Fun. No, you know, I... I was hoping that he would like slide or something or find a way to get in touch with me so that we could remain friends. But um, no, but I I do know that if I ran into him again, he would remember me because yeah, it it was like a lasting, uh, it was a mutual admiration. It felt so good to be able to perform. And then like, cause I get that. Like when I meet someone, when I meet someone who's super famous, who I like love, I know that they would love me, but they're not aware of me. (laughs) I I don't, I, I want them so badly to see me perform so that they can have respect. But yeah, that was the, my memory for Bruce Willis. And then...
0: And then Alec Baldwin.
1: My memory from Alec Baldwin... God, that was... My memory from that was being devastated afterwards because I forgot to do two jokes that I had you know, in a Google Doc before making my final choices. And there was one joke I was moving to another section. Like my best joke... The, I had two jokes that were... Made. Actually, I had like so many jokes. My best jokes, most of them had been cut. Three of them had been cut because... I'm not going to say three, two had been cut the, the morning of because Caitlyn Jenner found out that someone had been practicing a set around town talking about her car crash and she did not want jokes about that. And and if she, if, she, and, and Comedy Central hadn't told me not to do those, they were like- Were there no strongly? jokes at
0: all about it in the whole, th- I, don't, I don't remember- well, no jokes yeah. at all.
1: And there were, let me tell you, and some some really good ones. And I did them because on Howard people were Stern. Like,
0: people were probably like, well, it's better to joke about that than than joke about the trans stuff. But yeah. I thought, mean, you right? would
1: think, but it was like, the, it was that. And I go, unless I'm told specifically not to do something, I'm going to do it. And Comedy Central was like, we just strongly suggest you don't. And I go, but have you heard that from her? And I go, can I talk to her and ask her? Like, just let me... And they wouldn't let me talk to her. So the morning of, they finally go, listen, she heard that someone might be doing jokes and she said she would walk off the stage if that happened. And I was like, okay, then I'll pull them. Like, I don't want... Like I said, I don't want to make anyone uncomfortable. It was... That was all I needed from you guys. But when you tell me, we don't know, we just don't think, I'm going to do it, right? So I took those jokes out and I swall... I took that hit and I was like, okay, we got to make this set stronger. Then there was another joke that I loved so much. That was a dumb one, but I. it was just like... Um, Alec Baldwin has a podcast called Here's the Thing, which is exactly how he introduced Caitlin to me backstage, which I just thought <laughs> is just like a beautiful joke. And I just thought it was so... It, it was a great transitional joke to... The, it was just part of the set that I needed... I was excited to do, and I fucking forgot to
0: You just do. forgot, because, yeah.
1: because I... Okay, this is what I did. I cut instead of copied the joke on a doc, Google Doc. I cut... Someone came in the room was like, what do you want from Starbucks? And I was like, oh, blah, 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 blah. And then I go back to the doc and I don't remember that in, never pasted. So it just didn't end up in the script. (laughs) And then I'm on stage and I heard someone reference this podcast and I go, (gasps) oh, and I'm like, oh my God, like, can I get up and like, do it again? I almost literally asked for a pickup. Like I was like freaking out. And then afterwards I was, I cried at the after party. I had the set of my life. That was the set that blew me up and changed my life. And I was Devastated. I couldn't have any fun. And that was one of the last times I let a regret during a live performance, sent me into a tailspin because I'd done, I did it with uh, Conan when I did Conan over Zoom uh, during the pandemic. I had a fucking meltdown after that thinking I had fucked everything up. Can and I tell I, you about yeah. that,
0: that, that? I don't know if you know this, but I put you on my list of the best performances you! of, of, of 2020 I re- I reached because to I was you, so obsessed. I? Yeah, I think you, well, you tweeted, yeah. Um, but that was... Uh, the, oh, I, I meant was to so personally reach out to you. I was so obsessed with that Zoom bit from Conan.
1: That? Made my you. I'm that so so glad fucking I brought funny. That up it's a very visual
0: bit, so um, we can play a clip of it here. But you really should go watch it if you haven't seen it.
1: My favorite thing about Zoom, and you got to do this when when you look when you're in your next Zoom call, you got to look for this moment because it happens every time. You sign off for the call, and you're like, "This was really fun. Thank you so much. Okay, guys, we'll follow up on that. Thanks, everyone. Have a great day. Okay, cool. And then just after that, cool. And then the people Uh looking for the Uh, leave meeting. Yes! yeah about like and it's still true the st- you still have to write you end a zoom meeting and then you go bye you click and then you have to click leave meeting and it takes the time between saying bye and writing clicking leave meeting your face falls into what who you truly are because yeah, you and were so, like the
0: first person to have that observation thank that you was and like, it, it
1: would have someone would have we gotten were all experiencing it. it Bo Burnham would have done a whole song about it on his uh, <laughs> special suicide note um, that's what I'm calling his special uh, <laughs> It's called it's oh his uh, I mean uh, let's be I'm I, I if I were friends with him, I'd check in on him but uh I, I've been but trying again, to get
0: him on this podcast but he has not done one interview what about an it honest so uh,
1: guy <laughs> yeah uh no, he's great. The, that was so honest I was you know almost scared but that's that's the kind of thing that I was doing over the summer when I was uh, last summer when I was suffering through depression and like suicidal thoughts and like just had no didn't want to go on like I was tweeting things that were ch- called cries for help and I was kind of looking at his special like a cry for help and I was like should I reach out to him, even though I don't know, like, I'm sure people are checking in on him. But a lot of times when you present your s- mental struggles through comedy, people just assume it's not real or it's haha, And you're just like, will someone check in on me? Really? Um, and I talk about it in the stuff I'm doing now, but the one tweet I did do about like, oh, I wanted to shave my head because that was like something that my brain was telling me to do last summer was shave my head, which is not yeah, a good very, sign for a Britney mo- Spears. Yeah. Like it really was like, I wanted to get, I just wanted to, I was angry about the patriarchy and I just wanted to reject my hair, which was already falling out and causing me so much stress because I was, you know, just str- whatever. So I tweeted about it, made a joke, and everyone's like, ha faving it, retweets. Okay. The only one person reached out to me to be like, are you okay? Like, I saw your tweet. It was Joe Rogan. I've only spent two separate, had at that time, I'd only done two podcasts with him, three hours each, but that's a significant amount of time to spend one on one talking to someone. I mean, m- most of my good people I'd consider best friends. I don't know that we've done that intensive conversations eye to eye. And so that's uh, that's just to say the, the Bo Burnham thing. But for the Alec Baldwin um, roast, I w- I, yeah, I was just devastated afterwards. But the one thing that I do remember the most that's been talked about a lot is that, and a decision I'm, I stand by is when I assembled my writing team for that, I always give like kind of a, a mission statement for each person. Like, here's what kind of jokes to write because I want the joke to come from a place of truth of how I feel about them. And for Blake Griffin, I was like, I just want every joke to be about how hot he is and how <laughs> I want to fuck him and people, my writers are like but it's a roast and I'm like find a way to make it work. So for me to to for me to be able to do that. Because the thing is, I'm really bad at letting boys know I like them or guys. I call them boys, but like, because they are, but I'm not, I'm so brazen on stage, but I'm not good at being like, I like you and would entertain going on a date with you. Like, even though like, or I don't like slide into people. Like, I don't, I would rather make jokes about it so that I can get off on the fact that like, if he doesn't want me, I can be like, oh, they're jokes. But if he does, I'm like, I just like gave you the in, like now, you know.
0: Did he take the in or anything happened there?
1: Well, it was funny because we definitely had like a nice time talking before and we were sitting right next to each other like randomly enough. Cause I asked to be placed next to him um, <laughs> at rehearsal and uh, it was already placed that way. But I just said to the director, I go, Joel, please leave this. He goes, it's tentative. I go, please leave it. Yeah. Just please leave him next to Can me you because I knew permanent? from the Edward Norton thing, like whoever you're sitting next to you, you really talk to all night. And, um, and he left it. So no, we, we definitely were having like a flirtation. I could feel like, mute you know, I went up, did really well. So I got that Edward Norton, like a little bit of like interest, respect vibes from him. And and my whole set was about wanting to fuck him. So it was kind of like, ah, sorry, did you? And he yeah. was like, oh, you know, and it was sweet. What are you going to do? And then he got up on stage and said, I looked like Larry Bird and said, I couldn't <laughs> pass for 33 like Larry Bird because he was number 33. And he said a couple other things that were like so mean. Larry Bird is here. I mean, Nikki Glazer is here. <laughs>
0: The only difference between Larry Bird and Nikki Glaser is Larry could actually pass his
1: 33
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm sorry, you were so nice earlier I I was, yeah. yeah. Nikki, look at you. You damaged little climber You know, Nikki was the only girl kicked off Jeffrey Epstein's island for networking.
1: I know who wrote those jokes for him. I believe that Jimmy Carr had written jokes for him. Then that's not like blowing his cover. Like, Blake is hilarious, legit hilarious. But and everyone gets people his...
0: to write jokes for them. Yeah, yeah. he.
1: Pro- I, I probably wrote as many jokes in my set as Blake wrote in his. Like, there's no shame in having other people write. And And Blake truly is a funny person, but... I think Jimmy Carr wrote some of those jokes and Jimmy is always a person that whenever I'm in a setting where he can like poke fun at me, like I've had him on my radio show a couple of times and he just can be, he can make, he can be so mean. He can like see me in ways that I don't, he's just too acute with his insults and they can be so mean about my looks, which I do not handle well because I, that's, stems from feeling like all of my insecurities are just not from feeling like, like that i'm like somehow ugly that's why i talk so fast because i'm scared and like i don't want to be heckled because i'm just scared someone's gonna be like you're ugly like i know that's like the craziest thing but like that's my biggest fear so when i found out jimmy i was like jimmy fucking Clark. and i think maybe neil brennan too and neil is very insecure about his looks so he's able to write to that as well so he's able to really nail it and so when i found that out i was like fuck those guys but at the time I was more like fuck Blake which was a good feeling because if a boy is mean to you in, in the past I'd be like I like him more but this made me like ugh. you like are able to say those things about me like I don't want my husband say and I know that like we had our arms just touched <laughs> but I was already marrying him in my head I'm like I can't marry someone who said I looked like Larry Bird this is over he did slide into my DMs eventually because everyone was like fuck Nikki Glaser I went on Howard Stern and talked about it I think everyone was tweeting at him like please fuck Nikki Glaser please, like she's dying for it and uh, he tweeted at me he like DM'd me and was like the people have spoken i think we have to give them what they want and i was like i was like yeah i'm i'm down or something and then uh we were gonna like hang out if he ever came to new york and i guess he just hasn't come to new york at and all I guess not. even though uh, yeah. i think he definitely probably is there yeah. <laughs> and uh we have not connected ever since but i did right. well, you know what I, I, I got the slide in my dms and that's probably all i really want in the end anyway it's from him, because i'm scared yeah. of intimacy yes <laughs>
0: Um, the other joke that that did stand out to me rewatching it um, is the one you made about Jeff Ross. Uh, that's uh, how do you get tens? I mean teens.
1: Oh yeah. That's
0: one that's aged kind of uh, complicatedly, I would say.
1: Unlike uh, the women he dates. No, I'm just kidding. Jeff gets really hot girls, and I just I don't. How do you get tens? Teens? I'm sorry, I read that wrong. How do you get? You have the sex appeal of a gymnastics doctor. I just don't understand. <laughs> I'm friends with Jeff Ross and feel very conflicted about all of that. So am I. So am I. That joke was actually used in like a... Some, someone wrote something about the allegations or whatever they against that. him and referenced that joke as like, she knew... And I'm like, no, I know that his girlfriends were, like, decades younger than him, but so are every male comedian in their 40s, 50s, whatever Jeff so is. So kind of,
0: you weren't kind of uh, exposing some open secret yeah, there? Yeah,
1: no, it was me making a joke of how his he dates young hot girls, but not, like, illegal h- hot girls. Like, and... You can't take gross jokes as facts, although, you know, I am trying to ca- call out things that maybe people wouldn't know about other people, but in that case, it wasn't me. T- Tens and teens is hilarious. Like, it's just fun. That was just a fun joke construct of thinking that I was reading it wrong or what, and it's just, it was in, I guess someone could say like, oh my God, she knew what, would the, the accusations that would come out, but I, I didn't, and I uh it was not from that place, and it just was a coincidence, and, I hate even talking about any of this stuff. As you can tell, I'm like tensing up and like, I'm I am not mean to work make you tense out up. From, No, no, no. It's okay. It's, it's such a, it's, it's, it sucks. Uh, yeah, because it's, it's even like I was talking though. about the Z's yeah. thing recently on a podcast and I was just like, can we just move on? Because honestly, see both sides of it. And I never don't want to trust women. And I also know that and this isn't Aziz or about Jeff or about anyone, but I truly believe that, um, you know, I could be friends with a lot of monsters. Like, I think there are a lot of people out there that have done disgusting things to women and men, both women and men that have done disgusting things. And my whole policy now is uh, keep working. I don't care if you keep working. Bill Cosby, go on tour. Like, I don't, I really, I don't want him. I wish I could literally... Kill him with my bare hands. Like he's the only person that I would probably want to murder, uh, just because I I I've I've seen his show. Actually, I've hated Bill Cosby since he came to my college in two thousand six, <laughs> and I fell asleep during his show. Like I've I've always hated Bill Cosby. I've just gotten a sense I didn't know that he was going to be a you know the, the most prolific serial rapist we've ever known. But uh, allegedly, um, but I uh, I just feel like I it's up to the consumer whether or not you can. Canceling is... I'm just really... As much as I was... I was on board with cancel culture for a while. And now I just think it's not... I'm, I'm really scared of it and I think that everyone just needs to make up their mind whether they want to consume it or not. I'm trying my best to love everyone and hear everyone out and give, give everyone the benefit of the doubt before I can, try to cancel or pile on. But sometimes it's tempting because sometimes you already hate someone uh, <laughs> comedically and then they come out as a pedophile and you're like, yes! And you go, I can't wait. I've always resented your success because you're not even funny. And now you're a creep. Fuck yes. And so for some comedians like Louis, like I said, I don't enjoy, I can't watch him anymore. It's not that I wouldn't enjoy him. I probably would love his new stuff, but I've heard he doesn't talk about the thing. He kind of casually references it of like, how was your summer or whatever. I
0: feel like if he did an hour about that, and I would was be back on board. Yeah, I, th- I know. I think it would. I think it would make a huge difference. And I think I don't. That's why I don't know why he doesn't do it because I think it would.
1: So confusing to give me him as well. Some,
0: some credit, you know. Some.
1: I'm, I'm sure he has his reasoning, and but that's the thing. It's like. It's a personal choice for me. I don't understand why my brain works this way. I can still enjoy Michael Jackson. I can still enjoy some Chris Brown songs that aren't about like loving and cherishing women. Because for me to enjoy those songs, I need to believe the person singing them loves and cherishes women. So what he's done goes against that in order for me to enjoy it. For me to enjoy Thriller, I don't need to think that he hasn't molested children. don't know why just doesn't in a part of it. Louis to enjoy him, I need to trust him for this comedian I'm talking about um uh, uh, that we both know who I'm talking about. <laughs> I don't need to trust that he's not done bad things to women. For some reason, I don't need that. And I I honestly wish I did because I wish that my morals were that in line with everything else in my life. They just don't. I'm a vegan. I care about animals uh, endlessly and in ways that people don't understand. But when it comes to this, I, for some reason, can still laugh and I still follow him on his Instagram and I, maybe that's indefensible and you should stop following me because of that. So be it. I can't (laughs) help it. I still think he does a really funny Eminem stuff.
0: So we end with the first laugh, which is our uh, our speed round. So can you remember the first piece of comedy or comedian that really made you laugh?
1: Yes, the ones that occur to me first are ones where I watched my dad laugh, and I was like, "Oh my god, I want to do whatever that my dad
0: making him laugh."
1: Wendy Liebman said on the Tonight Show. I remember I was like probably in fifth, fourth, or fifth grade. Wendy Liebman. and I'm talking about stand up here for some reason, just like really big comedic moments. Wendy Liebman goes, "So I just quit smoking." Crack and it's going really. And my dad, like, was like, that is brilliant. And that, that, I mean, that explains everything about who I am is that joke. And then, um, another, there was another Sarah Silverman joke that my dad was like read to me in, uh, middle school that it was like in the New Yorker. I remember he was she was like, this was before Jesus Magic. She was probably still on SNL at this point. And it was, um, you know, uh, my doctor molested me, which is so bit- bittersweet as a Jewish girl. And I, I remember yes, he was laughing and I go, I don't, I don't know what that means. Cause I grew up in St. Louis. I didn't know any Jewish people. I didn't know stereotypes of Jewish people. I knew about the Holocaust and dreidels and that is it. And like <laughs> literally didn't know I'm anything. you knew about dreidels. Thank you. Uh, it was a Pee Wee Herman Christmas special that actually, uh, <laughs> taught me dreidel, dreidel. Yeah. All that. So, um, I remember that he had to explain to me Jewish stereotypes like racist Jewish stereotypes to understand the joke. So that was like a weird moment for us as a family. And then, but the first joke that got me that I always remember and, and, and one of those ones that really stuck with me is, and I say it to myself all the time is Ellen DeGeneres, uh, talking about in, in one of those specials after she came out, uh, HBO one's. She's going to the bathroom, and she goes. Sometimes when you're trying to get the toilet paper out of a stall, and it's like s- turns into streamers. I and she goes, this, "This is no time for celebration. This is no time for a party. Or so. It, there's this is no time to be celebrating." She goes, "It turns turns into to party streamers." And I and she just goes, "This is no time to be celebrating." So anytime time that happens to me, I always go, "This is no time to be celebrating," and it makes me laugh so hard. And um, that's why I love Ellen DeGeneres. By the way, I feel even though she's canceled too. Yeah i I'm gonna definitely be talking about her on stage, especially as she keeps losing power in Hollywood. Um, it becomes more comfortable and you can be more, uh, brazen about your, <laughs> yeah. the things you've heard. Um, but no, I, I will always love Ellen and I think she's one of the best standups ever. But if you watch her, if you're a true fan of her standup, you knew that bitch was evil (laughs) and not evil, but like had a dark side. You do, you are not that funny and have jokes that take such twisted turns. I mean, that was a bad example of her, her dark side, that joke I just told, but go back and watch her specials under the, with knowing what you know now or what you've heard now. And you'll, it'll all make sense. It's been there all along. She is, she's too funny to not be, have a, have a dark side. And, and that doesn't always have to be one that you keep from people. It, in her case, she chose to kind of hide it but it, it wasn't being hidden to me. I, I think that's why I love her so much is because she's, she's fucking, she's a bitch.
0: Do you remember the first joke or roast joke or something, first joke that you told that really that really worked and, and connected with an audience?
1: Yes, I had a joke that was by, my first set on stage, not one of my, not the first joke I ever told on stage, but on, in the first set, I was trying to be Sarah Silverman and I wrote a joke that was, uh, I was 19. I was in col- college at the time and I was like, I want to, no, I was 18. I want to have I would love to have a baby someday I would love to be pregnant someday But I'm just waiting I know I have to wait Until I'm mature enough To handle an abortion So that was like One of my first like Little like kind of And I haven't yeah, heard that joke twist. since yeah. It was like a good It was I I thought that it would Almost be hack at this point But that was the first time I was able to like Do my own spin on an abortion joke, trying to be Sarah, you know? <laughs> and then um, and then I had one another abortion joke shortly after what was like, and then when I was still young, it made sense. My mom, I was like, my mom recently told me she was pregnant and I'm fucking 18 years old and I was so upset. And she was like, Nikki, please, I'm really going to need you to help me take care of this baby. And I was like, you know what? I will, mom. And that's why I pushed her down the stairs. So that took care of that. <laughs> so that was like, a, that was a fun play on that took care of. And that joke actually got me, the attention of like headliners that would come through and go to the open mic, you know, before they were their headlining week, they would come in early. And I remember Jim Florentine seeing that joke and being like, you have to do guest sets for me all weekend. Like the joke is so funny and dark and twisted. And, so it was like little things, that joke means something to me because Jim Florentine allowed me to like do guest sets, which was like the first, he was one of the first headliners uh, to ever believe in me. And it wasn't trying to fuck me. And uh, which, you know, people probably assumed, but Jim Florentine, Doug Benson, like these people early on that just saw something in me because of one good joke I had uh, really changed my life. And Matt, I seriously thank you so much for highlighting that moment from the Conan as one of the funniest moments of 2020 because making that list, was really meant more to me than like it meant like as much as like winning an Emmy did because <laughs> it just felt like I I just trust your sight and like the the taste level that you guys have so making that list like made me feel so fucking cool and at a time when I really needed oh, well, it. Well so that thank means you. a lot.
0: Uh, and yeah, that that still is I will I will rewatch that when I wanna laugh. I, I love it so much. Oh, thank you
1: so much.
0: So yeah, thank you so much for doing this. Um I will tell you I was very excited to have you because you were I've now had all six comedians who were in that first stand ups. You're my sixth. So I had Nate oh Bergetzi, Fortune Feemster, Dion Cole, Beth Stelling, Dan Soder, Dan Soder, and now you. And so I feel uh. like I've I've achieved something.
1: Yes, we did it. <laughs> Check that out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and they're, the all, half hour. they're all
0: really great specials. Netflix. Um, so yeah, that was
1: a fun one where I talk about my dog going down on me, which I don't even remember those jokes and I hear it back sometimes. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh God, what were you talking about? So that was a good one too. Uh, thanks Matt.
0: All right. That was my conversation with Nikki Glazer. I mean, we had a good time, right? So yeah, I hope you all check out her new special Good Clean Filth this Saturday on HBO. And the first three episodes of F-Boy Island's second season are streaming on HBO Max now with new episodes premiering every Thursday. If you want to support The Last Laugh, please help us out by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We want as many people to hear this show as possible and you can help by spreading the word and sharing it with your friends. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at thedailybeast.com. And if you're not already, please follow at Last Laugh Pod on Instagram, where you can see photos and videos from all of our episodes and see who is coming up next week on the show. The Last Laugh is distributed by Acast for the Daily Beast with audio production by Jesse Cannon. Our theme music is by Claude, who you can find on Instagram at Claude.mp3. You can find this show every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find show notes and highlights from each episode on the dailybeast.com. See you next week.